Hello. We actually tried recording this last night, but Zencaster was like down, and so we're doing it in the morning, which is like kind of unusual for me. I'm not usually up at this time. I'm really stressed because my partner flies in today, so I've got a lot to do. Um, but we've squeezed in an episode because we are conscientious. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying our best to be consistent. Last time we had like how long between our episodes? Like a month? Like a Too month, much- yeah. yeah. Too long. That was, oh uh, yeah, even I felt guilty. And also we had like a bunch of uh, messages on Bumble asking us when our next episode was. That made so. me feel really like a little bit overexposed, but also pleasantly surprised that people are listening to it. Yeah, also, I was thank just you surprised. if you are listening to the podcast. <laughs> So what I've been doing the past few days, because it's been Chinese New Year and I know you don't like celebrate super like intensely, like not all three days, right? Yeah, I mean, only one side of my family is Chinese and that side of the family is really small. Like, I don't have any first cousins. Do I have second cousins? I do, but I've maybe met them like twice in my life. So it's always really, really tiny. Um, What's second cousins? Like, not your aunt or uncle's kids but maybe your parents cousins children ah okay 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 oh yeah i'm definitely not close to like that side either i only see them once a year yeah my mom only has one sister and she like never had children so i don't have any cousins it's just interesting to me like i mean my family's super big you know that and so i don't have like super a lot of models for like not having a big family until like Okay, so I was like visiting my family yesterday and I realized I was sitting at the table and I realized I might I might be the like cool child-free aunt in the future because at the table it was like my brother and my cousin and they're both the same age and they're both like BTO, soon to be married, prestigiously employed and I was just like just very carefree little rascal at the table who had like a no job and no plans to get married in the near future and I realized that that would be my um that my future role in my family which was interesting to think about uh I would like to be that person but like I only have one sibling and I don't know if he wants children I don't think he does and yeah I'll just have to rely on like friends having kids but my (laughs) friends are all pretty cool so like I wouldn't get to monopolize that position of being the cool aunt because they would have lots of cool people in their life. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like, there's this whole stereotype where, like, every family will have, like, that one gay person. And so, like, this Chinese New Year, I was, like, very aware of that. And I wasn't before because I've spent lots of Chinese New Year's as, like, a straight girl with a boyfriend. And so that's been different. Do you notice a difference in how your family... Because you're out, right, to your family? Yeah, I'm, like, completely out. Do you know the difference in how they treat you? I tweeted it yesterday and I just wrote that I feel like nobody dares to ask me any questions because I might say I have a girlfriend. Like, you know, if you ask about like, oh, how my relationship is going, or like what my future plans are, I might say like, oh, my girlfriend and I are doing this. And I think that's just not some <clears throat> a conversation they're like super ready to have. Not like the aunts anyway. I think that's really funny because, like, your girlfriend has a really professional job and she's a nice Cantonese girl. Exactly. (laughs) I think they would like her. Out of all the the partners, she's the only one who can speak, like, you know, a dialect or, like, a southern Chinese language. So, technically, I have, like, the most traditional girlfriend. But, yeah, I think it's just, like, hard for them to grasp. Yeah, that's difficult. I was, um... I mean, my family doesn't really ask me that many invasive questions, but that's mostly because we don't really speak the same language. Like, at Chinese New Year, my grandma was speaking to her sister in Cantonese, which I don't speak, and my aunt was speaking to my grandma in Hokkien, and my mom was speaking to my dad in Tamil, and I was speaking to my grandma in Mandarin, and, like, there was English around the table. So by the time it goes through the broken telephone... No one is asking really, like, <laughs> awful questions. <laughs> and then because, like, there's pretty much nobody else in my generation, like, in my age range, just me and my brother. So there's, like, no one to compare us to, which is quite nice. Do you grow up lonely, though? 
that way? Uh, yeah, I didn't really know what it was like to have cousins. I think like, like the 2013, no, I was on Tumblr in like 2010. And mm. every now and then, I get on the wrong side of Tumblr and you see those really like, there's no way to say it, but like heteronormative memes where it's like, <laughs> like a blonde girl with beachy waves and some text on the top. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I saw one that was like cousins are your first best friends and I like, I don't know what that feels like because I don't really I don't really have that many cousins that's true I mean I've told you before that like I, I'm someone who actually does really appreciate growing up in a big family and like having lots of cousins just because I think like being trapped in a like nuclear family obviously if like you're in a very functional family that's fine but if you're like in a dysfunctional family you're just a lot more vulnerable and you don't have like better models to look to. And so I think it's always good to like have bigger family models for, I don't know, for kids to like have someone to turn to if the nuclear family is not stable. Yeah, I guess. I, I'm, I, well, I mean, it's not really an option for me because yeah. like no one had children. <laughs> so I'm really more of like a chosen family kind of person. Like I've yeah. got really good friends and I feel... I guess, more comfortable with friends than with family, which I know is not, like, a singular experience that is just mine. I know that's, like, very common for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think for queer people especially. I was talking to my brother about this that day. I think, like, for him, because, like, he... I mean, because he's, like, planning his wedding now, right? And he's, like, not... I guess, like, usually when you when you get married... I don't know, okay, I don't know how the straights do it. When they get married, I assume usually, like, you know, the friends help, like, do all the... I don't know, be like runners. And oh stuff. yeah, traditionally there's like a bridal party, there's a groom party, and you like, yeah. assign lots of saikang to your friends. Exactly, but like I feel like to to my brother, like his friends are not like in that sphere of his life. It's like his family, so like the cousins are the ones doing it, right? And I was saying him like for him, it's so so much the case. It's like oh when. When all else fails, you have family. Whereas for like a lot of like my queer friends, family is not the last frontier. It's more like if anything fails, I, I have my friends. Right. And so yeah. I'm wondering if it's like that for you also. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm just not close to my extended family. Like either they're a lot older than me or we're just so many like steps removed that I see them once every couple of years. So yeah, I mean, now I feel guilty that I should be doing more but if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen right yeah if you didn't grow up together you just didn't grow up together yeah exactly i think we just feel guilty because it's a cultural thing oh yeah absolutely yeah the expectation to like be like super close to your family despite or in spite of like anything that happened i mean the whole thing about like blood ties being the most sacred kind of tie that exists in the world i don't think that's true i think that's a very traditional way of seeing human relationships but I don't like I think that's like a cover for a lot of really abusive relationships that happen within families and I don't just mean abusive like physically abusive or like really horrendous like I just even even like like lighter conflicts like your family is supposed to be able to get away with saying things to you that they wouldn't say to anybody else yeah. Like your family should be allowed to comment on your weight or like other aspects of your physical appearance. But you wouldn't do that to a stranger or like a friend, right? Like you yeah, wouldn't exactly. do that in polite company. You wouldn't be like, oh, you've put on quite a lot of weight since I last saw you. That's just not nice. But we expect that we're supposed to be okay with it because, like, oh, that's just my aunt. Like she's just really fat shaming. I don't know. Yeah, no, exactly. And if you see anything about it, you kind of like become the villain because you're like disrupting this like well-oiled interaction between family. Yeah, I saw I saw this post flying around Instagram during like the reunion dinner hours and the the first year visiting, uh, where it's like one of those carousel posts. So there's just lots of words and like it's like a slideshow, um, and it was a series of questions that people get expected to ask to be asked on family occasions, like, when are you having kids? Um, how much money do you make? That kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was a guide to ways that you could answer those questions and, like, weasel your way out of them. I think the one that I saw that was, like, 
oh, when are you going to have kids? And the res- the suggested response was, I think children are really great, but I'm not sure I want to have them in the climate crisis. <laughs> I like I respect the energy, but I just feel like in my family it wouldn't go down well because then I would have to explain antinatalism in the climate crisis. Yeah, I feel like I don't know if it's like a... a- different in our family cultures but it's not even that that would like provoke any conflict it's just like they would not understand what I'm saying at all I I don't know I can't imagine it going well with my family just because like they're not I mean politically I'm quite far to the left so a lot of things are very normal to me like antinatalism or like I don't think the nuclear family is a valid form of organizing society and I realize (laughs) that like my family is like what are you talking about (laughs) how can you say these things you know honestly like I think I'm like so out of practice like regarding like Chinese New Year norms and like what you say around family because I haven't like had a proper Chinese New Year since 2017 right so I was just like talking they were talking about like giving birth to children yesterday and I just like started talking about this lesbian youtuber who pushed out (laughs) a giant baby and had a third degree like tear to her anal sphincter and then like halfway through I was like why am I saying this I was like literally shouting about her fucking like anal tear oh my god (laughs) and everyone was just like looking at me with like blank faces and I didn't realize what was happening until like pretty far in (laughs) yeah I had a similar well yours is a lot worse mine was like pretty low-key like I think my family was just complaining about COVID restrictions, which I suppose is what normal people talk about. Um, and, and I was like, well, I think, you know, uh, it's pretty eugenicist to say that, like, people with pre-existing conditions don't deserve to be shielded from a plague. And they were looking at me like, why are you like this? <laughs> like, they just want to complain about not being able to sit in big groups in the food court. And, yeah. I, and I'm like talking about the sanctity of life. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't go down smoothly. But I. I don't really know how to talk to like my older family members. And do you see the, like this family apart from Chinese New Year? Not particularly. I think we used to see each other more when there were no restrictions or when there was no COVID. Oh. Um, but everyone's being pretty careful. My family follows the rules. I've realized from like social media that we are alone. Yes, you most definitely are. Like so the five are unique you visitors for not following the rules. Wait, you you're like you follow the five unique visitors. Yeah. <gasps> I mean <laughs> No, I we've been so good about following the rules like the last 2 years of restrictions. I think the closest I've come to breaking the rules is like taking off my mask 30 steps before I get to my front door when no one else is around. Like, <laughs> Oh no, I definitely like, I think like very often I like have been smoking more simply so I can like not wear my mask for a bit outside. Oh, my work around is just not leaving the house. Oh, that's true. That is true. But yeah, the Instagram post made me think about how like it's almost expected and I don't think this is a thing that's specific to like Chinese New Year or even like Singaporean families just like generally speaking when it's like Christmas time or whatever other big holiday occasion in other countries you'll see people express the same kind of sentiments online like oh I'm really like sending you all love for the Christmas period like it must be very difficult to be with your family or might be difficult if you've decided not to talk to your family anymore or like any combination of those things um there's just this like tacit understanding that family can be emotionally triggering in a way that's like unique to family which is pretty sad when you think about like what the ideal of family is supposed to be yeah i think it's just that like as a as a baseline like most people don't grow up in like very functional families and most people don't like get a lot of like good parenting when they grow up even though that's like the idea of like family that's sold to us often during every festive season ever yeah I I think maybe part of it is like we're expected to not 
set boundaries with family because they're family. Like, you know, if yeah. if my friend said something awful to me, like, wow, you've really, like, this haircut makes you look super ugly. It makes you look fat. Like, there's nothing wrong with being fat, but the way that it was said was not implied as a good thing. And that's definitely something that I've heard family members say to each other before. Like, you would never accept that from a friend. You wouldn't be like, yeah, thanks for your opinion. <laughs> you would be like, screw this bitch. I'm never going to hang out with her again. That is true. I wonder if it's like, obviously it's not like we said that it also happens in like other countries, but I wonder if it's also cultural, like the extent to which this, ha- this happens. I think oh, like you mean in, like, like yeah. the Asian idea of filial piety? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like maybe some of my friends who like grew up in the UK, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or like a good parenting thing, but if their parents say something really rude to them, I don't think they have like qualms about, you know, being like oh hey I'm uncomfortable with this whereas I can't really imagine many people like doing it here like you you just kind of accept it as like oh uh they're just saying that like I'm not going to like disrupt uh I don't know like the respect thing I'm just gonna like pretend and I didn't really hear it and like just complain to my friends later oh yeah like I've mentioned you before but I, I have a therapist and she's white so, like, culturally, we have very different backgrounds. Yeah. And sometimes I talk to her about, like, family things, which is, like, it's a normal thing, right? Like, you go to a therapist to process emotions that you don't know how to process on your own. Yeah. Um, and she'll suggest things like, oh, you should tell people that the way that they talk is making you uncomfortable and you should set boundaries. And when your boundaries are transgressed, you should make that clear. And I was like, I really appreciate where you're going with this, but... I cannot imagine successfully setting a boundary in my Asian family. <laughs> no, it's true. Like I literally <laughs> told my therapist this when I uh, about my therapist in the UK when I came back. I was just like, I feel like sometimes she doesn't understand how to approach like my problems with family because her solutions are really difficult for me to implement. Do you have an example? Like, yeah, I mean, like I think like kind of what you said, right? That like. I mean, but I talked about maybe like certain dynamics in my family and she was very adamant about me learning how to like put my foot down or she would like kind of tell me what kinds of things I should say. I mean, without going to too much detail, that's kind of like the gist. And like those were things that I could not say to like my family or did not feel comfortable saying to my family. Whereas, like, if I told my therapist here about it, like, she kind of, like, immediately understood the difficulty. Whereas I think my therapist in the UK framed it more as, like, a problem with me not being able to do those things rather than, like, a problem in, like, the family culture. Is your therapist here, like, local? Yeah. Yeah. And so she got it by the therapist in the UK did not understand yeah I think there's definitely something to be said for like cultural competencies with therapists and stuff but that said like I really do appreciate the therapist that I currently see because even though I can't implement everything that she suggests and I do let her know I'm like look you're great but let's be (laughs) realistic yeah exactly even though I can't implement everything that she suggests I do think that like her perspective is so far outside of everything that I've grown up thinking about family that yeah. it's been quite useful to interrogate some of those beliefs that you just assume to be, like, given truths, you know? Yeah. For instance? Well, like, like the whole, you have to love somebody no matter what if you're related to them by blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was kind of like, I don't know, I don't think that's true. Like, if they're really awful to you if they make you feel horrible about yourself like if they're very emotionally triggering you don't have to keep giving them unconditional love because you're getting like bad treatment in return that's a really it's a really like unequal transaction and if it doesn't help your mental health like maybe you should stop doing it yeah and honestly it's not just like a cultural thing it's also like a state thing Oh, like yeah. being Celsian is kind of like baked into like things like housing policies or like, you know, like healthcare policies for older people. If you're not a Mandarin speaker, Natasha just said like being filial is part of state policy. And it is in a very large way. Like in Singapore, 
the family is seen as the basic unit of society. So like, if you can't pay for your hospital bills or whatever, you can draw on your family's CPF to do it. Or like, I think the same thing happens with education. And we have such a thin welfare system because the state expects you to be able to lean on familial ties for any sort of material support, which is, it's like... I just don't think it's very fair to people who don't have good family relationships. No, yeah, like, definitely. I think, like, even for, like, BTO, if you live near, if you choose to live near your parent, you get, like, additional chances at balloting and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, and, like, what do you do when your family is abusive? Yeah. There are definitely people who have very fractured relationships with their birth family. And if they choose to cut themselves off for their own safety or their own health, they're being punished in other very material ways elsewhere. Yeah. It's crazy that the state can, like, reward you for being, like, what they deem a good child, which is basically just, like, (laughs) I don't know. Especially for a lot of queer families, I feel like it's really difficult. Like, a lot of my friends, like, end up moving out um, and, like, I don't know, maintaining a very, like, distant relationship for their mental health. And so, like, you're already, like, disadvantaged by not being able to like buy a house right and then you not being able to like hold on to like a a healthy relationship with your parents by no fault of yours that's also punished and so it's really difficult for like I don't know a lot of queer people to want to stay here I guess just because these things are enforced like both socially and like systematically I feel like I also want to push back on the idea of like Asian parenting versus Western parenting, I think. Yeah. And this is, this is all in like scare quotes. Like I've got inverted commas around the word Asian and Western. Like obviously, Asian culture is not a monolith, but I do think that it gets invoked a lot in Singapore. And it's like, it can be used as, as an excuse for some really horrendous things. Like, oh, Asian parents just hit our kids. That's normal. <laughs> I don't think anyone should be hitting children. Yeah. But like, really? do you not? I don't know. I, I I keep seeing, like, I don't know. I'm still on Facebook because I'm old. And you'll see, like, old people share memes of, like, ooh, that time when you got to choose the rotan that people cane you with. <laughs> no, yeah. And that's common, right? And, like, when we were kids, for, like, our parents to make us choose the cane. I used to, like, throw it out of the window. So, like, if my mom went out of the house, I'll break it in half and throw it out of the window. And she'll just make me buy it again. I don't think I got to choose. I remember mine had a pink handle. But, you know, if, it, if my memory serves me correctly, my brother had a different color handle. Um, and we just <laughs> had, like, his and hers. Twins. <laughs> this is horrifying. But it was, it was horrifying as a child to, like look at your parent and be like, oh, okay, this is the person that I depend on for everything in my life. And now they are hitting me. It's crazy because, like, some people continue, like, some people, even in our generation, continue that just because they weren't traumatized by it. And they're like, oh, it was fine. It builds character. And I'm like, no. (laughs) I think part of it also is people thinking, like, oh, it's traditional. Like, you still sell these canes. Like, you know, it's just a part of growing up as an Asian person. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's fair. Or when when you see all these like subtle Asian traits, people being like, my parents never said that they loved me. They never hugged me. And that's because they're Asian. I don't know. I, like, I don't I'm think confused. that's very good. Yeah, no, but also like obviously a lot of like these ideas about like being filial or whatever, it's like, you know, like social is very like Chinese. I'm wondering like what it's like in like maybe an Indian family. Um. But- the cultures like on like your dad's side of the family for instance Indian people still hit their kids <laughs> I guess I guess there's also an expectation that you like look after family no matter what I don't know if there's a word for it in our language because I'm, I'm not fluent in it mm. but there's definitely like the expectation that your blood tie is one of the most important ties you can have in life isn't it like the the quote does it ever mean what it people think it means like blood is thicker than water something it like was, the blood of the covenant is thicker, thicker than the water, than the water of the womb. womb 
Yeah, so it's actually the other way around that like yeah, your chosen exactly. family is more important than whoever you're born with. Yeah, exactly. And it's just been like twisted. Like corrupted, so, like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I, I spend too much time on TikTok and I don't know if you've ever come across these accounts, but there are these weird, weird bot accounts that will post short snippets from like TV shows. Have you mm-hmm. seen them? Uh, I mean, like, no, I haven't. I mean, I see people post TV shows, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, these the one bot accounts that about. will like post scenes from TV shows, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes I just watch them. And I guess the one that's been coming up my feed recently has been from Fresh Off the Boat, that American show. Oh yeah, um, that stars like Constance Wu as yeah. this Asian tiger mom, and yeah. and it's been very uncomfortable watching them. I should stop. I just like like punishment i suppose um but like in in the show at least the bits that i've seen there are things like constance Wu doesn't like that her son is dating at the age of like 12 or 13 so she she changes the a on his exam paper to a b to scare him or like she's talking to another mother and they're both swapping tips on how to spur their children on towards like success. And they land on the suggestion that instead of giving no praise, you should give your kid inconsistent praise so they don't know when they're going to get it. What the hell? And this is like a sitcom, right? So it's it's framed as this like funny thing, like, haha, you know, anyone who's also had a tiger mom from an Asian background can resonate with these experiences. And I think that like, it's if it's not emotionally abusive, it's at least like confusing and upsetting when you think about the fact that like the joke is made at a child's expense, like a child who doesn't know yeah, exactly. anything. Um, exactly. And I, I, I guess like I don't know. I just broadly feel uncomfortable with the normalization of bad parenting under the umbrella of this is just our culture. Yeah, no, that's super uncomfortable also, I think. Like, I think I've seen a lot of my friends, like, push back on <laughs> how Asian-Americans, like, market bad parenting as, like, a Asian thing. Like, something to be, I don't know, proud of almost. It, it's kind of weird. Maybe there's less of a cultural difference. Like, I don't think it's, as you said, like, when we say the words, like, Asian or Western, it's all in, like, quotation marks. Simply because I think, like, abuse is not a cultural thing. Like, there are abusive parents in both cultures. But the maybe, like, it's more of the social and cultural expectation for Asian kids to continue to provide unconditionally for their parents, yeah. no matter what they do. That's, like, the part that is, that can make like an abusive situation was if you are in an abusive relationship with your family and in a culture where cutting off contact or setting boundaries is seen as bad like that that's a lot more emotional guilt to take while you're being abused as compared to if you're being abused but in a a culture that does not frown upon you doing the right thing for yourself I, I think that's the main difference. It's not really the abuse, but it is a culture that can keep you in that situation for yeah. longer than you need to be. And of course, like this is by no way a representation of like Asian parenting at large. I definitely don't think so. But it's hard to deny, you know, like the power that that social and um, cultural and systemic pressures can have on an individual who is already so beaten down at home. I feel like a lot of it is kind of like, I don't know, it is like generational trauma. I don't know, a lot of my the people I know who are parents in my mom's age weren't like parented really well and they either like reproduce that or because they weren't, they didn't grow up with like super good parenting. They also like never developed the self-awareness on, like, their own, like, emotional shortcomings and they just, like, project that on their children. And so I feel like it's a function, a more function of that than, like, anything, you know, like, explicitly cultural. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think like if you as a young person grew up with like no affirmation from your parents and you don't like receive that kind of messaging, then you don't break the cycle because you just think that's the way that parents are. Yeah. No, definitely. Which like makes it really interesting being a millennial because I think we're like the first generation to really get all of this cultural messaging um, about like boundaries and emotional health and just like the general mental health discourse that like you're kind of in this weird schism yeah where, like we don't have like the nerve and verve of like gen Zers <laughs> to like implement these things intuitively yeah i think you definitely like you can see where your family is coming from or you can see why the older generation like doesn't believe in all of these things like going to therapy yeah. um and then and then that, that disconnect between the things that you are learning whether you believe them or not like you now have the vocabulary to express some of these concepts and like yeah. the people who raised you or like the generation who raised you like even if it's not your parents just generally speaking like any other institution like schools or even like workplaces saying things like oh i want to set a boundary between my work and my home life and they're like what <laughs> work <laughs> until you die <laughs> no i mean like yeah even the whole you know how people say when like corporate companies evoke like the family culture it is like a dog whistle for exploitation basically and yeah like- i think like <laughs> like the older generation i've seen i've heard people say things like oh you know like the millennials they don't have job loyalty anymore they just job hop and yeah i was saying to someone of that generation that like yeah i don't feel like i owe any fealty to my employer they pay me i do the work it's a contract if yeah. the contract doesn't favor either one of us we leave and find another contract like that's just the arrangement um and they they're very like outraged by that because they just grew up with a different set of values that oh, i yeah, think extremely them exploited but you know uh, yeah i mean like a lot of like people i know in my family like grew up with like love class trauma and like i don't know they just like have very different priorities for like survival and so like they i feel like they project those like you know like i am like in a much like better place than my parents for instance like financially especially but i think sometimes some of like the models they've learned from just like their history they're unable to shake off um and i don't know i guess like in it, it, it's not cultural but like in asia you have like a much bigger community of people who have very recent class and generational trauma that is not i don't know that they have not healed from and i don't know i think that does show itself in the way they parent the next generation yeah i think our generation is the first one that's going to be like mostly materially comfortable at least i think proportionally a lot of us yeah. grew up not having to worry if we could eat the next meal it might not yeah. have been the best meal but we could have eaten yeah. and like, yeah. i can't say that for my parents generation like yeah, they exactly. didn't know they could eat yeah exactly i feel like we also yeah I, I actually don't hear that a lot in like conversations like they're always all about like bad parenting but also or like whether it's culture or not but it's also i don't know it's like a whole generation of people you know it I don't know how to like move forward with like things like that. I don't know how to, let's say, if you have like a parent in your home, it's really difficult for you as like one individual to like get them to heal like their own generational trauma. Yeah, I don't, I guess like there's so many things, right? There's obviously like we should build a world that is more conducive to life. Like no one should be poor in society. So that's like a societal shift. Yeah. But then there's also the whole, like, you can go to therapy. Like, I don't think, I think I've seen some, like, leftist critique of therapy as, like, individualizing a problem that is structural. Yeah, I don't exactly. think that's true, necessarily. I think that, like, mm. 
as an individual, you can still learn how to process emotions. You can still learn skills for coping with life. It's not going to make you forget your class position, but it is going to like make it a little bit easier for you to handle distress, I think. Yeah. And I mean, like, disclaimer, not that, like, rich people are not problematic. It's just that I have less empathy for them. (laughs) (laughs) I think, like, the cost prohibitiveness of therapy aside, I know it's very expensive. I get some of it covered by my employer's insurance, but otherwise I pay full price and it's not cheap. I just choose to prioritize that over, like, other things I could spend my money on. Yeah. Um, But I know it's not accessible to many people. It's not accessible to, like, the majority, put it that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, But also, like, there's no real push for it to be normalized in Singaporean society, I think. I think also people are, like, afraid of going therapy because it's expensive and people kind of expect that they have to go every week, like a class. Um, I do think that if you can't afford it, it's definitely fine to go at, like, a... Have like a lower frequency of visits, like going like once a month or every like five or six weeks. I think that's like definitely still helpful. And like the thought of having to like fork out that money every week shouldn't be like as scary a thought. I do think that going a few times, like if you do think it's something that could help you, Mm. going even like two or three times is better than going none at all. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do, I think there's like a really strong stigma against going to therapy in circles outside of like our progressive bubbles. Is that actually like even even in our age group? Not our age group necessarily, but I, because I, we were talking about like the older generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Like when I go see my doctor, I don't really see that many old people in the waiting room. It, it's kind of wild right that like i don't know like all of this like (laughs) psychology speak is is so common like common to the point of like misuse in daily life and then just one generation up they still think that going to therapy is for like i don't know only for like super crazy people (laughs) yeah like if you're like extremely mentally disturbed social media is crazy like the way it has I don't know, just normalize so many of these like terms and ideas. I mean, the older generation does use those terms. Like, you'll definitely see people being like, oh my god, the strawberry generation is so triggered. And then not knowing <laughs> at all where the word triggered like originated from. No, I feel like they have like gotten the ones that have seeped into like right wing media. The wellness cult has to keep up with the QAnon cult to convert conservative older people ASAP. That's so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know. I, I think, like, when we were talking about all of this, I was also thinking, like, you know, you were think, talking about, like, your white therapist and stuff like that. I think it's just, like, in a lot of Asian families, like, when you think about, like, parent-child relationships, like, respect and stuff, there just isn't the idea of reciprocity. Like, it being, having to be, like, a mutual thing. I don't know whether that comes from also like a lot of like trauma in their lives where they didn't have like a lot of agency over their own lives. And so like when they're when they finally have a kid, they're very about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there are definitely some people who have really good positive family experiences. So I don't I don't think it's universal. I just think that like I guess there are really not that many role models for what good parenting looks like. Yeah, there aren't. In, like, the media or just generally. Um, I think there are more now in our generation. Like, we grew up at the same time as, like, Modern Family was on TV. Yeah. Which, like, I don't think it's a, a handbook for how to be a parent, but definitely, like, a healthier representation than the stuff that was on TV earlier. Yeah. And as I said, growing up com- communally also helps what helped me feel normal was like having a big family but not just that I feel like in like societies where people like grow up a bit more communally I don't know whether like like in smaller cities or maybe like you know cities where everyone knows each other or something um I feel like that's also helpful because you're just like less vulnerable to like being alone I don't think that's necessarily true I think some people who grew up in like 
communal settings find themselves with more people to surveil them. Ah, like this is something that I definitely see how that. Yeah, definitely something that happens in like South Asian or like just brown, like Malay, Indian um, communities here. Obviously, that's not a universal experience, but definitely I've heard people go like, "Well, I can't like." wear this and go out like even if I don't see my family everyone will other see you. who will know me oh, and report back. so you know I don't think there's like any model that automatically makes you that's true more immune to like family conflict and abuse <laughs> yeah Very. I mean we throwing the word abuse around I definitely think that it's more prevalent. It's than more prevalent people than people think. Yeah, As, like I'm, I'm thinking mostly about like Singapore because this is the the environment yeah. that I know. But I do think like a lot of people have abusive relationships with their families. I was hanging out with a bunch of people that day, and between the five of us, one of us had a functional family. That's Man. wild. Those stats are wild. I don't know if it's like the people I hang out with that I am <laughs> more predisposed to hang out with like little weirdos who are from dysfunctional families. And also most of my friends are queer. But yeah, it, it's strange. I definitely have a little like double take moment when I hang out with a friend who had like a really normal, functional, happy family life. Like, <laughs> wow, we don't understand each other on a very like fundamental like, core level, level right? yeah. <laughs> yeah no I feel like there's also like people I know from like very functional families at least at least the ones I know have like a a kind of like trust in the world and people that I that I don't have that's interesting they like see people much more like positively and see their interactions much more positively We've talked about this for like super long. I think we should like move on from it. But the conclusion is, um, fuck, what's the conclusion? <laughs> I saw this like really interesting article online. No, what? let me backtrack. It wasn't an article, it was a tweet. That's embarrassing to me. <laughs> Um, but just like thinking about how like therapy isn't the only option for people but I also don't think it should be the only thing it's not the only tool that we have in our disposal this person was was tweeting about how like they almost lost their parent I think it was their mother to like QAnon like conspiracy theories and I can only (laughs) imagine it's very difficult to watch your parent go down that path um, yeah, for sure. And I'm not saying it's abusive relationship, but it's definitely like, like a a fractured family relationship, right? When you're yeah. like not even on the same plane as your family member anymore. And yeah. the the tweeter was saying that like they've actually managed to bond over a game instead, like Wordle, <laughs> which I was love like Wordle. which was so nice to see because like. I think for most people, unless your family has been really abusive and you've cut them off, like you've written them off, I think most people have a yearning to try and like reclaim some sense of like a healthy family relationship and like shared experiences are one of them. And Waddle is such a good game. (laughs) I'm so glad that it's like helping people rekindle their like parent-child relationship. Wow, I did not expect to hear that. I mean, like, maybe I should make my mom play Wordle. I have been playing it pretty consistently, though. Do I you? play every day. Oh, me too. Oh, I didn't know you play it because you don't post that much. Like, you don't boast about it that much. Um, I don't really feel like my contribution <laughs> is that significant. Like, oh, I got today's Wordle. I got today's Wordle in five tries. That's a bit much. I don't really want everyone to know. <laughs> It's kind of crazy though, because I got to know about it from like NYT, and now like it's being acquired by like New York Times. Yeah, so if you don't know about the Wordle craze, it's basically this game that has been free to play once a day 
um, for the last, I want to say, three think, quarters of a year. Yeah. Um, and it's basically a game where you guess a five-letter word. You don't know what the word is, so you just like enter any guess. It tells you which letters are correct and if they're in the right place. And then you get six tries to guess the word. And it's a very simple premise, but it's really fun. No, you um, got to tell the story behind it. It's a good story. It like, is a good part story. Part of it is it's a good story. So the guy who made Wordle, his name is Josh Wardle, which is very <laughs> cute to begin with. And he programmed Wordle because his partner really loved word games. And so he mm-hmm. made this for her um, just out of love and then made it free to access for everybody because he was like, why not? It was like, I think it was like he made it for her and then she was obsessed with it. So they shared it with their friends. So initially it was just like a friend group thing, but everyone was obsessed. And so then they it started spreading around. And by November, like lots of people like in the US were playing it. And then by December, like millions of people were playing it. And now it's like a worldwide thing. Pretty crazy. I think it's great. I love that it's once a day because... It's one of the first things I do in the morning. I wake up. Oh, I do it at night before I sleep. <laughs> I don't want to do that because then I've got nothing to look forward to when I wake up. <laughs> I thought about this. Sometimes I'm up past midnight and I'm like, oh, should I play Wordle? No. <laughs> I wake up, I do all my morning things and then I play Wordle. And it's a little treat to make it better to be awake. <laughs> what do you think about its acquisition though? I mean, because like part of why people like love it is that Firstly, like the story, right? It's like a love story. And then also it's like free to access. It's like once a day. It feels very like it belongs to the people. Um, And like people are genuinely upset about like the fact that it's being absorbed into like a corporation again. So uh, if you didn't hear the news, the New York Times bought Wordle this past week for an undisclosed seven-figure sum. Low seven-figure sum. Low seven-figure. So probably like around a million dollars. Yeah. Um, and people are stressed about it because the New York Times has a history of putting things behind a paywall. Like, I love the New York Times crossword, but I can't pay for the service. I did it for a year and then I wasn't using it enough for how expensive it is. Yeah, exactly. I don't pay for it anymore. Um, people are afraid that it's going to disappear behind a paywall. I think, like, something really nice about Wordle is it recaptures this, like, old part of internet history where you would go to different websites mm-hmm. i don't know if that makes sense but no, like, it makes sense it's in the last like yeah in the last five years like i only really go to like facebook twitter my email like, i'm not going to any like boutique websites where they just do one thing you know I, it's like um you know like web one web two web three yeah like crypto is like web three it's more like web not totally like web one but like before things were like centralized and like links were very like separate from each other i think it was like that feeling i miss Um, that time of the internet like even like i used to have news websites like they weren't news websites they're more like blogs that i would visit all the time exactly Um, and that's just like been centralized on instagram or tiktok now very few people have blogs. If you do, they're like newsletters that you get in your email. Like I write a newsletter. So it's like everything's being collected by these few mega corporations. And Wordle was this like shining star outside of that system. Yeah. And also it just recaptured that feeling of like you're on the internet and you're all like, I guess like when you're younger, your world's just a lot smaller, but you like visit the site and everyone's like consuming the same thing. Um and everyone's just been so, like, respectful around Wordle. Like, people are saying, like, no one posts, like, any spoilers. Like, people just, like, genuinely nice to each other. You're all, like, having, guessing the same word. Um, it's, like, this really nice sense of, like, camaraderie <laughs> over the internet, which is, like, rarer these days, I think. Um, yeah, it's really cute. Like, there, there was a couple of days ago, the word was null, K-N-O-L-L, like yeah, a grassy yeah. null. <laughs> Um, and like a lot of people were angry because either they hadn't heard of the word before or it's just like it's a weirdly shaped word there's a double letter it starts with a k and so it's not really like the first word that you go to when you try and guess 
Yeah. And there was this like outpouring of communal frustration that I found really charming. <laughs> I actually like the words like no. I hate the ones that are like could. You know, like I could do this. There was one the other day that was could. And I was like, that's literally not allowed. That's so annoying. <laughs> Why is it not allowed? It's like I wouldn't think of it as like, I don't know. I was just like, you expect like a really spicy word all the time, you know? Oh, because it's like a nothing word. It's like a nothing word. It has like no meaning, like it did not have an apartment to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh my a god, word my... That you don't even think about because it's such a staple. Jane just sent me a link and it's multiplayer wordle. What is multiplayer wordle? I have no idea. I just received the telegram message. Oh, so cute. So I'll find out. <laughs> but yeah, I think like there's like a real like tension like people feeling like firstly like being really happy for him because it like honestly the rate at which it it grew it's not something that he can sustain on his own ever and so like people are really happy that he like got that money uh and he deserves it on the other hand like you're like losing this like one thing and people seem a bit resentful i saw this tweet that was really poetic it was like yes it's going to end the small pleasant thing and i was like damn that's it (laughs) well like anyone who says they wouldn't have sold wordle is lying they definitely would sell it if i made something for my loved one and i suddenly got offered a million dollars for it i didn't have to do any additional work it was mostly made. I think now he's like trying to figure out how to port over people's like saved scores or whatever. Yeah, um, so yeah. there's still a bit more work. But like the game is done. A million dollars, like that would change your life. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy because like obviously people like Wordle is an open source game. So like anyone can like look at the code and like make their own Wordle. Like that's something he did. Like I think a lot of like independent like tech people do like the soft like open source thing but like the joy of it was actually like the community but when the community is the world one person cannot sustain it like I I just think this was like the inevitable conclusion of it exploding I don't know what do we what does he have to sustain because the the code is really simple yeah but uh, for a website for a website to host millions of visitors a day he I needs don't know to enough about websites. Pay, yeah, no, he needs to like pay for hosting the servers and everything. Yeah, yeah, like I mean, a usual block spot you don't have to because you get like if if you even if you're really popular, like a few thousand users a day, right? But this one's like millions of people. It takes a lot more. Like I don't know, I don't know what the term is, just to host to host that many visitors. Bandwidth. Um, yeah, and it, I think he told he said it got a bit overwhelming also. Mm. for him to like yeah do this um, the 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 funny thing about wordle is because it's such a simple like the game mechanics are so simple there are a million bootleg copies yeah uh, i found a website that has all of the wordle archive oh yeah i've been doing that too i've been playing it because like i missed out on the first like 200 wordles yeah me too the first 200 days um but if you just search Wordle in the App Store, like tons of copycats show up. Some yeah, of them are like open charging. Source. No, some of them are charging money for it, which I think is like super shady. No, there's so many money like, like Wordles in else. different languages. Also, I've seen like Tagalog ones. Like there's a Chinese Chengyu one. Like, that one sucks. There's a Malay Wordle. Yeah, yeah. There's this one for like every language because he made it open. Like that's like literally his gift to the world. Like that it was such an easy, obvious thing to do. It's just like mastermind, but with words. I'm just curious about what the New York Times is thinking they're going to get out of Wordle because it will drive traffic to their page as long as it stays free to play. But the moment they put it behind a paywall, like, I don't think people are going to maybe want they to won't. play Wordle. Maybe they won't, oh, but I think they probably will, right? Damn. I just say that because like, the New York Times puts everything behind a paywall. That's true. I like I I hope at least if it's a paywall it's just like to existing like people who already subscribe instead of like the crossword where if they subscribe separately 
That's yeah, annoying. or like the cooking, you have to subscribe to that separately. Yeah. Um, but I think like the general frustration about Wordle isn't directed at Wordle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's directed at like the trajectory of the web. Because when it yeah. started, it was very much like a bunch of people getting really excited about building things and sharing yeah. information. And things like Wikipedia, you know, popped up just a way to like make knowledge free and accessible. Yeah. And now we're like in the advent of Web3. Yeah. Where like cryptocurrency evangelists are trying to figure out how to monetize every aspect of you being on the web. Yeah. That's just depressing, I think. It's really funny because like the, I guess like a lot of the Web3 people, like crypto people I follow, like genuinely believe that they are moving back towards a more decentralized system because Web2 is super centralized. It's like Google and Facebook and stuff like that. And so like that is meant to be like the ethos of like Web3. <laughs> to me, it's just like a money-making scheme. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like switch between my opinion of it very regularly. What like, I do know about Web3 just demonstrates to me that it's very much pay-to-play yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, you have to pay money to participate. And it's so different from, like, the early web. Or at least, I mean, I wasn't alive for the early web. But the web that I remember in, like, the early 2000s, you could code your own page. Like, even if it was hosted on a big centralized website like LiveJournal, yeah. you were still able to, like, experiment with CSS or HTML. You were still able to, like, exert your own personality on the web. Yeah. And then when it I became actually, like Facebook and Twitter, like this, it's just a narrowing of how much you can do that isn't just generating content for the overlords who own your website. Yeah, I feel that, but I also feel like you actually still can do those things. Like you still can code your own website using like CSS and HTML. But it's like when you're older, it's also just like not. It doesn't feel enough anymore. Um. And so, like, even, like, the whole Wordle thing, I think, like, you said that it's also, it's directed towards, like, frustration with, like, the internet at large. But I think it's also a more, like, general frustration with, like, the idea of, like, selling out in your own life as you grow older. Like you were saying, if you were in Wardle's shoes, you would probably also do the same thing. And a lot of his critiques probably would also do the same thing. Um, and so there's a lot of that, at least for me. I think. Oh, probably. I would definitely do it. A million dollars would change my life. It would change <laughs> most people's lives unless yeah, they're like exactly. already sitting on a hundred million dollars, right? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so if anyone wants to give us a million dollars, you can rename the podcast. I don't know. We'll talk about anything you want. Like, I will tell <laughs> out. I'll do it. If you want to give us a million dollars to just dedicate an entire podcast episode to how great you are, like, sure, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> We only have four episodes out, but if you want to advertise on our platform, um, if you want us to... I mean, I draw the line at, like, tattooing an ad on my body. But, you know, like, an Instagram post, a TikTok, a tweet, I don't know, just shouting outside my window. I'll do anything to get the bag. I think we should like set up a, a Patreon at some point. We record episodes once every two and a half weeks. For a fellow inconsistent people, I'm sure people don't listen to like everything. They like pop in and out. It's I don't want to. I don't want to set up Patreon because we're not like, like I don't want to take money from regular people. I just want to no, do this stuff would- for fun. But like, you know, if you're rich, if you're rich, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. If you're rich, like, you don't even need Patreon. I'll give you my pay now. (laughs) I accept checks. I don't like checks because I always forget to bank them in. But you know, like, if you want to make me jump through hoops for the money, I'll take it. Yeah, Ruby needs all the support uh, she can have to, like. I also just want free money. I, I want a it. life of leisure. We will sell out. Crybaby is a fledgling podcast, but like, let us know. We'll see you next week. And wait, next week? We'll see you when you see you, maybe in like, hopefully two weeks. Yeah, stay safe, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.